Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number uh, 33 tonight. And, of course, we've been going through the book of Job on Wednesday nights, and we've uh, made it through the major portion of the book of Job up through chapter 31, where we had the conversation between Job and his three friends. And we've started into, in chapter 32, uh, into this monologue of this fourth man, Elihu, who has been apparently sitting on the sidelines listening to this conversation and now uh, steps in and begins to give his two cents. And Elihu is uh, a controversial uh, character in the book of Job because uh, some people think he's the hero of the story. He's the greatest thing. He's the one that puts everyone in their place, and other people think he's not that great. And the way that you have to determine whether he's a good guy or a bad guy or what he's saying, if it's true or if it's not, is to really stop and look at all the statements that he's making. And that's what we did last week, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Look at what he's saying and compare Scripture to Scripture and figure out, is this uh, an individual that is correct or incorrect? And the first thing I'd like you to notice tonight as we continue with Elihu, if you remember from last week's sermon, we talked about the fact that Elihu, we saw this in chapter 32, was young, angry, and opinionated. And uh, tonight, I want us to begin by looking at the fact that uh, Elihu is brash. And of course, that the word brash means he, he's self-assertive in a rude and noisy and overbearing way. And I think as you look at the words of Elihu, you'll find that to be true. In fact, in, in, the, in the, the first first verse here, you, you see something that uh, might be easy to look over if you're not paying attention. But in verse 1, he says this, Wherefore, Job, I want you to notice, he says, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speech and hearken to all my words. And right here in this first verse of chapter 33, Elihu does something that none of, uh, of Job's three friends have done throughout the entire uh, book of Job. Of course, if you remember, chapters 1 and chapters 2 were the narrative, they were the story of Job. And in chapter 3, we began this conversation between Job and his three friends. And that conversation was not a short conversation. It went from chapter 3 to chapter 31, back and forth, back and forth between Job and his three friends. And there's one thing that they never did. None of them did this, did this is no one in that conversation ever addressed Job by his first name. But yet we see this young man, Elihu, for the first time in the book of Job, says, wherefore, Job? Now, you might say, well, that's not a big deal, or, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's not a problem. But I want you to notice that I believe that Elihu was setting himself up knowing that what he was going to do was rude. First of all, if you remember, go back to Job 32 just real quickly and look at verse 4. If you remember, Elihu, according to the narrator of the Bible, uh, was younger than uh, Job and his three friends. The narrator tells us that they were elder than he. Job 32 and verse 4 says, Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they, the they there is referring to Job and his three friends, were elder than he. The he there is Elihu. So the narrator tells us that Job and his three friends were elder than Elihu. And then Elihu, by his own brash speech, tells us in verse 6, 
Uh, and Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzai, answered and said, remember, he made this very tactful statement, I am young and ye are very old. And uh, by his own uh, uh, words, he tells us that uh, either, either he is very young or they are very old, but there's a major difference in age between Elihu and his three friends. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, I want you to notice verses, verse 21 of the same chapter, Job 32 and verse 21. Because remember, when we read these books in the Bible or read these passages in the Bible, the, the verse divisions and the chapter divisions were added later on, after the fact. When, when the book of Job was being written, it wasn't like whoever wrote the book of Job decide, said, and, and that's the end of chapter 33, and now we're in chapter 34, or that's the end of chapter 31, now we're in chapter 32. Those separations were added uh, uh, later on in order to help us, and we're thankful for it, to help us be able to find passages throughout the Bible. Once you notice what Elihu says at the end of chapter 32, verse 21, he says this, Let not me, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. So he uh, begins by saying, you know, I'm not going to use any flattering titles. And then in Job 33 and verse 1 says, wherefore Job. And the idea here is that he knew that uh, Job was a man because of his age and because of his success and because of his godliness probably was not someone that people just went around referring to him by his first name. They probably had titles that they called Job, at the very least, maybe sir or, uh, uh, you know, boss or whatever it might be. And here he says, well, I'm not going to give any, and, and he, I love how he spiritualizes it. He says, let me not, I pray thee, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man, for I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take uh, me away. And this is Elihu's ultra spiritual way of saying, Job, you're down and out. I'm not going to give you the respect of addressing you by your title. And then in verse 1, he does something that no one else in the book has done. He calls Job by his first name. So just an interesting thought there. Elihu, who is much younger than Job and his friends, does something that we do not see any of his friends do. He refers to Job by his first name. And by the way, whether uh, you agree that this was rude or not rude, in their culture, let me just tell you this, in our culture, it is rude for young people to address their elders by their first name. It's not respectful. It's not correct. And you say, well, I don't understand. Look, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, you, children need to understand that they are not equals with adults. Now, children should be treated with respect. They should be treated with love, and they should be, we should not be treated as, as some sort of a slave or something like that. But they should not t speak to adults as though they are their equal. Children need to learn their place. My wife uh, was telling me she was reading uh, a book recently, an, an older book from, I don't remember, hundreds of years ago or something. And it was referring to the fact that children should be taught. I think this is a, a really great way of saying it. Children should be taught to never contradict they're uh, an adult. And of course, sometimes kids do this where an adult says one thing and then the kids, you know, say, no, no, that's not right. You know, and obviously we don't want to uh, embarrass and yell at the children in front of people. But if, later on, they need to be taken aside and taught. You don't contradict an adult. Some, you say, what do you mean? Somebody asks, what time is it? And the adult says, oh, it's 3.15. And the kid says, no, no, it's 3.13. Um, you don't contradict an adult. 
You, you, you understand your place, that you're not their equal. You're not their peer. You uh, treat them with respect. And here we have Elihu, knowing that there were proper titles to be given, chooses to ignore those titles. And you say, what can we see about this young man, Elihu? He's brash. You say, what does Elihu need? Probably a good spanking. And he probably didn't get enough spankings if he got any spankings uh, growing up. Look at verse 2. Job 33, look at verse 2. Behold now, I've opened my mouth. Notice, notice how deep this guy is. I mean, this is deep. Behold now, I have opened my mouth. My tongue has spoken in my mouth. Like, okay. Uh, I think that's, we, we get it, you know. Then he says this in verse 3. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart. Now, here's what's interesting. Elihu and Job's three friends are all upset with Job because Job is what? Proclaiming his own righteousness and his uprightness. Yet here Elihu also proclaims his own uprightness. He says, my words shall be of the uprightness of my heart. He's mad at Job because Job says, I'm upright. And Elihu says, no, you're not. And I'm going to put you in your place. And what I say, I'm saying from the uprightness of my heart. When you get mad at somebody for doing something that you're doing, you know what that that is? It's hypocrisy. And we see Elihu here upset with Job because of proclaiming his own righteousness and uprightness while he proclaims his uprightness as well. By the way, the Bible says that every man will proclaim their own goodness. If you don't believe me, come out soul winning with us. Knock on random people's doors, and they're all going to tell you why they're going to go to heaven because they're pretty good, and they're not as bad as the other guy, and they're not as bad as their neighbor. Notice verse 3. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart. Then he says this, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Now, here's what's interesting about Elihu. Elihu has now spoken for an entire chapter, chapter 32, and he's going to speak in chapter 33, and, and, and we're into this chapter now. And what Elihu has been doing is he's been telling us and he's been boasting about all the things he's going to tell us. Notice again the last part of verse 3. My lips shall utter knowledge clearly. He keeps telling us about all the things he's going to tell us, but yet he never actually tells us what he's going to tell us. You say, what do you call that? A blowhard. A person who proclaims their own goodness and says, look, I'm gonna te- let, me, let me teach you something. But he's been doing this for a while now, and he's actually not yet said anything. In fact, it's not until chapter 34 that we can really begin to dissect a lot of the things. And we're going to dissect some of the stuff in the chapter tonight. But uh, really, chapter 34 is where Elihu really shows his colors. But we have to make it through these two chapters of him just saying things like, I've spoken with my mouth and my tongue spoke in my mouth. And just, you ever met people like this? They just ramble. They like to hear themselves speak. They, they, they say things and repeat themselves and repeat themselves, but never actually say anything. He says, I will utter knowledge clearly. And it's like, Elihu, you're, you're anything but a clear communicator. Look at verse 4. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, then he says this. Remember, this is a, uh, by Elihu's own words, I am young and ye are very old. He's speaking to a very old man. He says, set thy words in order before me. Stand up. I mean, he's disrespectfully challenging Job, saying, 
see if you can prove me wrong. Why don't you stand up? Almost like fighting words that he's addressing this very old man with, this young man, Elihu. Then he says in verse 6, Behold, I am according... This is... You, you really... You gotta, if you're not sure whether Elihu is a good guy or a bad guy, you got to underline this. He says, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. Say, so what does that mean? Well, if you remember, Job throughout the book of Job has been saying that he wishes that God would speak to him. That has been one of Job's major complaints, that he, he wants God to communicate with him. He calls out to God, but he does not feel like God is responding to him. And Elihu says, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. Elihu proclaims to be Job's answer to prayer. He says, you have been waiting to hear from God. Well, God is going to speak to you through me. I'm here in God's stead according to thy wish. He says, I am your answer to prayer. Look, you're pretty brash when you walk up to somebody and say, I am the answer to all of your prayers. I'm here to speak to you on behalf of God. Now, here's a question. Is that true? That God was speaking through Elihu? Some people would say it is, but here's, here's the obvious question that I think must be answered. If it's true that Elihu was there to speak in God's stead, then why is it that God felt the need to speak for himself in chapters 38 through 41? And he, you say, well, we, we're seeing a man of God here, a messenger of God. No, I think we're seeing a brash young man. A young man who's full of, like we talked about Sunday morning, vain glory. He is not humble. He thinks very highly of himself. Then he says this in verse 7. He says, Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid. Neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Elihu finally tells Job, he says, I'm going to go easy on you, Job. I will be gentle with you. Now again, this only comes from an arrogant individual who says, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess you up. I, you know, I could mess you up so bad, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go easy on you. And what we see in these introductory verses is that Elihu is brash. He's self-assertive in a rude and overbearing way. And that's really bad. I realize that there are people out there who might hear me say this and say, what's wrong with that? He sounds like a confident man. No, he sounds like a jerk. He's brash. He's rude. He's arrogant. Now, that's bad enough. If all Elihu was was arrogant and prideful and brash, that would be bad enough. But it gets worse. And it gets worse because not only is Elihu brash, he's also wrong. And we're going to spend the rest of the chapter dissecting exactly where it is in these verses, in this chapter. And like I said, this isn't even the worst of it. But even in this chapter, we can clearly see areas that Elihu is wrong. And let me tell you something. The, the only thing that's worse than being prideful is being wrong and being prideful. When you're stupid and no one can correct you because you're so arrogant, that's a very dangerous place to be in life. And here we see this young man who's dumb and arrogant. He's wrong and brash. See, there's nothing wrong with being wrong if you can be corrected. 
But when you're full of vainglory, when you think you know it all and no one can tell you anything, you're simply a fool. So we see Elihu. He's wrong, wrong, wrong on so many things, and he's filled with pride. So what exactly do we see in this chapter that Elihu is wrong about? Well, notice verse 8. He says, surely, and this is Elihu speaking to Job. In the next chapter, he's going to uh, address Job's friends. But in this chapter, he says, surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying. So Elihu is about to tell us, he says, Job, I've been listening to you talk. Thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard in the voice of thy words saying. He's about to tell us what he's heard uh, uh, Job say. And this is what he, Elihu tells us that Job said. Verse 9, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Verse 10, Behold, he findeth occasion against me. He counted me for his enemy. Verse 11, he putteth my feet in stocks. He marketh all my paths. And then this is Elihu's uh, comments upon what Job has said. He tells us in verses 9, 10, and 11 the things that Job said. And then he says this in verse 12, Behold, in this, in what? In the things that Job said, the things that Elihu tells us Job said, in verses 9, 10, and 11, he says, Behold, in this thou art not just. So Elihu says, you are not just, Job, because you said in verse 9 that you were innocent. You said in verse 10 that you felt like God was treating you like an enemy. You said in verse 11 that you felt like God has bound you or put you into stocks. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, did Job actually say these things? Because what you'll find, what we've learned as we studied the three friends of Job, and what we'll learn as we continue to study Elihu, is that a lot of times Job is just flat out lied about. And in the next chapter, I'm going to show you where Elihu says, Job, you said this, and Job said the opposite. He's just being lied about. But in these specific three verses, did Job say the things that Elihu says that because he said them, that Job is not just? And the answer is... Yeah. In some ways, it depends who you ask. But the answer is yes. Notice verse 9 again. He says, I am clean. This is Elihu telling us what Job said. Elihu's quoting Job. He said, he said, Job, this is what you said. You said, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. So the question is, did Job say that? And the answer is, yeah, Job said that. Keep your finger there in Job 33 and verse 9. Go to Job 16. Job 16. Now, now, Job did not say it in those exact words. As far as I can tell, Job didn't say it in those exact words. But Job definitely said that he was innocent. Now, let me just make this point. Elihu and Job's three friends may be trying to make the straw man argument that Job said that he was sinless. And that's not true. Job never said that he was sinless. But Job did say that he was innocent. Job 16, verse 17. Notice what he says. Not 
for any injustice in mine hands. Now, Job, this is Job speaking, and he's talking about these things have happened to me, the things that have happened to me, he said they have happened not for any injustice in my hand. Also, my prayer is pure. Job says, these things did not happen because of any injustice that I did. Go to Job 27 and verse 6. Job 27 and verse 6. Notice what Job says in Job 27 6. He says, my righteousness I hold fast. My righteousness I hold fast, and I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. So the question is, did Job say that he was innocent? And yeah, he said, it's not for any injustice in mine hands that I have done that these things have happened. Did Job say that he was clean, that he was right with God? Yeah, and he said, my righteousness I hold fast. Now, I want to show you something. Go go to Job chapter 7 and verse 21. If the argument that his friends are making is that Job said that he was sinless, then that is an incorrect argument. Job never said that he was sinless. In fact, in Job 7 and verse 21, Job said that if if he had sinned, now he's been making the argument that he hasn't sinned, as far as he knows, he hasn't done any injustice that is deserving of the punishment that has come to him. But he says, if I have sinned, then I wish that God would forgive me. Job 7 verse 21, and why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity for now shall I sleep in the dust and thou shalt seek me in the morning but I shall not be Job said he says why does not thou pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity Job says look I'm not saying that I'm sinless if I've sinned and I didn't know it why don't you pardon me God or why don't you take away my iniquity so the argument that Job was saying he was sinless is false he never said that but if you're but if Elihu was saying that Job was saying that he was innocent then he's right. Job did say that he was innocent. Now look at the next thing that Elihu says. Look at verse 10. Job 33, verse 10. And we're going to be flipping back through the book of Job, looking at the statements and comparing what Job said. Job 33, look at verse 10. Then the next thing that Elihu says is that he says, the the, the next question we have to ask is, did Job say that God was treating him like an enemy? Elihu says in verse 10, Elihu says that Job said, Behold, he findeth occasions against me. He counted me for his enemy. Elihu said that Job said that God findeth occasion against me, referring to Job. He counted me, Job, for his enemy. The question is, did Job say that? Go to Job 13. Look at verse 24. When we ask the question, did Job say that, the answer to the question is yes. Did Job say that God was treating him like an enemy? That he felt like God was treating him like an enemy? And the answer is yes, Job did say that. Job 13, verse 24. This is what Job said. Wherefore hidest thou thy face? Because remember, he says, God isn't talking to me. And holdest me for thine enemy. Job, speaking to God, says, why do you hold me for thine enemy? So Elihu says, you know, Job, you said you were innocent. And we would have to agree and say, yeah, Job did say he was innocent. And you know, Job, you said that you felt like God was treating you like an enemy. And we would have to say, yeah, you know what? Job did say that he felt like God was treating him like an enemy. Then Elihu says this in Job 33, verse 11. He says, he putteth my feet in the stocks. He he marketh all my paths. The word stocks there is a reference to a heavy wooden frame where people would be put into it and their hands would be bound there or their feet would be bound as a mode of punishment. 
Elihu says that Job said he putteth, referring to God, my feet in the stocks, he marketh all my paths. The question is, did Job actually say that? And again, the answer is yes, Job said that. Go back to Job 13, look at verse 27. Job 13 and verse 27. Thou puttest my feet, this is what Job said about God, Job 13 verse 27. Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks, and lookest narrowly unto all my paths. Thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet. So Elihu says, Job, you said that you were innocent. And it's true. That's what Job said. Elihu says, Job, you said that you felt like God was treating you like an enemy. And it's true. That's what Job said. And he says, Job, you've said that you felt like God had bound you in stocks. And it's true. That is what Job said. And then Elihu says in verse 12, Behold, in this thou art not just. Elihu says, Because you said these things, therefore, Job, you must be wrong. And this is where, this is where we have to understand. This is where we have to have use a little bit of common sense. Elihu says, you said these three things, therefore you're wrong. The question is, did Job say those three things? And the answer is yes, Job said those three things. However, is he wrong for saying that? Well, it depends who you ask. Because if you ask Elihu, he says, in this thou art not just. If you ask Job's three friends, they'll say, yeah, exactly. That's what we've been saying. You're just repeating yourself, and you're a little more rude also. But what about what God said? Go to Job 42. Well, fast forward to the end of the book, Job 42, look at verse 7. Here's what God said. Look, we're not debating that that's what Job said. The question is, was Job right or wrong in saying that? Job 42 and verse 7 says this, and it was so, that after the Lord has spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. God says to the three friends, You have not said the right things as my servant Job hath, uh, hath said. Or hath, excuse me. Look at verse 8. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right. Notice, like my servant Job. So according to God, everything Job said was right. But when we compare what Job said, he actually said the things that Elihu accuses him of. So what, what, what do we walk away? How do we walk away? What is the determination? The determination is this. Elihu was right about what Job said, but Elihu was wrong about his conclusion. Elihu said, you said these things, therefore you're wrong. God said, he said those things. Yeah, he did say those things, but he was right. God says, I kind of was treating him like an enemy. And I can understand why he thought I'd put him in stocks. And he really was innocent. He really was upright. He really hadn't done anything to bring this punishment upon him. He wasn't being punished. So when we ask the question, is Elihu right or wrong? We have to walk away saying, look, either Elihu is right and God is wrong, or God is right and Elihu is wrong. I don't know about you, but I'm going with God. 
You say, was Elihu right or Elihu wrong? Well, Elihu's wrong. He's wrong about Job. He says that Job is not just. In this thou art not just because of the things that he said. But that's not true because he actually said those things, yet he was just. Now, here's the thing. If Job was a wicked sinner and he had said those things, then that would be wrong. But Job was right. He really was innocent. So we see that Elihu was wrong. What was Elihu wrong about? He was wrong about Job. There's another thing in this chapter that Elihu was wrong about. Look at verse 13. He says, why dost thou strive against him? Now Elihu is accusing Job of fighting against God. For he giveth not account of any of his matters. And by the way, that's true. God doesn't answer to us. He doesn't uh, give an account to any of us of the things that he does. And that, that, that's a true statement. Verse 14. Then Elihu says this. He says, For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. So remember, Job has been talking about the fact, and he's been complaining about the fact, and God is going to deal with Job about this later on in the book. He's been complaining about the fact that God will not answer him, that God is not giving him an explanation, that God, he, Job is saying, I'm innocent. I don't know why this is happening. He says, I understand it's happening, but I wish God would, would, would give me a day in court and, and allow uh, me to uh, ask him some questions and, and that he would answer for what he's doing to me. And Elihu makes this argument. He says, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. Elihu says, no, it's not that God's not speaking to you, Job. It's that you're not hearing him. And Elihu begins to make the, the, this argument about how God primarily speaks to man. Now, I want you to notice it. Again, these are chapters that are maybe a little wordy. Elihu's not a very clear communicator, and uh, sometimes it's easy to just kind of read this and just whatever. But if you actually stop to consider what Elihu is saying, he's speaking about how God primarily speaks to man. I want you to notice what he says in verse 15. He says, in a dream. Now remember, in verse 14, he told us that God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. He says, God speaks, you just don't hear it. God speaks, you're just not perceiving it. Then Elihu proceeds to tell us how it is that God speaks. He says, he, says, he speaks, notice verse 15, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed. The first thing that Elihu tells us is that God speaks through dreams. Now, by the way, this is not the first time we've heard this argument. In fact, if you, if you remember, actually go back, do me a favor, go back to Job uh, 32 and look at verse 14. Remember that Elihu made a promise to us. His promise was this, Job 32, 14. Now, he hath not directed his words against me. This is Elihu speaking about Job. Then he says this, Neither will I answer him. This is Elihu speaking to Job. Neither will I answer him, or speaking about Job, with your speeches. So this is the promise that Elihu made to us. He made a promise to us. He said, I'm not going to use the same arguments against Job that the three friends have used. That's what he told us he was going to do. Now, when we actually begin to get into his arguments, one of the first things he says is, Hey, Job, God speaks through dreams. Well, here's the funny thing. That's one of the first arguments that the friends made. Remember Eliphaz, the charismatic? Job chapter 4. Look at verse 7. Remember when Eliphaz began to tell Job that he was wicked and he was wrong? And then 
the question, of course, is, well, how do you know that, Eliphaz? How do you know that Job is wicked? And this is what Eliphaz says in Job chapter uh, 4. Look at verse 12. Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and my ear receiveth a little thereof. In the thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern from thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? And Eliphaz makes this argument that, Job, I know you're wicked, because I had a vision in the night. And Elihu has been promising to us, go back to Job 32, he's been promising to us, excuse me, Job 33, that he's not going to make the same arguments that the three friends made, yet the first argument he makes is the exact same argument. Job, how do we know you're wicked? Well, Job, you don't understand. God's been speaking. You just haven't been hearing. Well, how's he been speaking? In a dream, in the vision of a night. You sound like Eliphaz. When deep, Job 33, verse 15, when deep sleep falleth upon man and slumbers upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. He keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. So Elihu makes this argument. He says, when God speaks, he speaks through dreams. And by the way, the Charismatics and Pentecostals And all of these people who say that God speaks through dreams basically just want to forget about the Word of God. Well, the Bible says this, but God told me in a dream. God didn't tell you anything. God spoke through His Word, period. So Elihu says God speaks through a dream. Then Elihu says this. He says that God speaks through suffering. Look at verse 19. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. He says, God is speaking through pain so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen sticketh out or stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyer. Here's what Elihu says. Elihu says, God speaks through dreams and God speaks through, uh, through, through uh, uh, pain. And here's the truth. Here's the thing. Elihu's not wrong. Has God spoken through dreams throughout the Bible? And the answer is yes. Elihu is not wrong. Does God speak through affliction and pain? And the answer is yes. Here's where, jo- here's where Elihu goes off the rails. Verse 23. He says, if there be a messenger with him. Because remember, he said, God speaks through dreams and through pain. And then he says, if. If there be a messenger. What's a messenger? A person. If there be a messenger with him. An interpreter, a person to interpret the dream, a person to interpret the vision, a person to interpret the pain. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, he says, one among a thousand. Here's what Elihu was saying. Elihu was saying, God speaks through dreams and God speaks through pain. In fact, God speaks primarily through dreams and through pain. And if there's ever a messenger that God sends, if there's ever a human vessel that God sends to interpret, he says, you might get that one among a thousand. I mean, he's saying, when God speaks, 
you know, one out of a thousand times he might speak through a man, but usually it's just dreams, usually it's just pain. Here's the argument that Elihu is making. God primarily speaks through uh, dreams and pain, and God rarely speaks through men. And when God does speak through men, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, he says, it's one among a thousand. To show unto men his uprightness. Look at verse 24. Then he is gracious unto him. He says, if God sends you a man, it's because God's being gracious. Because it's rare. It's rare that God speaks through men. So Elihu makes this argument. He makes the argument that God primarily speaks through dreams and suffering, and that God rarely speaks through men. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is that true? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Go to Hebrews chapter number 1. If you go to the end of the New Testament, you go backwards, you have the book of Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. The question is not, and you say, well, I think it's a silly argument. I agree. I'm not the one making it. It's Elihu. The question is not, does God speak through dreams, pain, and messengers? The argument that Elihu is making is that God primarily speaks through dreams and pain, and that it's rare that he speaks through a messenger. And the question we have to ask, is that true? Now notice Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God. Now, by the way, this is an epistle. This is what we would call the narrator speaking, the Holy Spirit, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, and nobody knows for sure. Some people tend to think it's Paul, and I, I, I wouldn't disagree. I would, I would agree with that. I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, Either way, whoever is speaking, the Bible tells us holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So whoever is speaking here is the Holy Ghost speaking through a man. This is true. This is, we know this is true. Hebrews 1.1, God who at sundry times, the word sundry means various, who at various times and in diverse manners, the word diverse means several, in time past, notice, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers. Notice what the Bible says, by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So, according to the Bible, how does God, how has God primarily spoken to mankind throughout history? It's been through the prophets, it's been through men. In fact, the Bible tells us that God spoke through dreams to the prophets, and God spoke his word through the prophets, but God primarily spoke through his word, which was spoken through men. All throughout the Old Testament, we have prophets of God, men of God saying, thus saith the Lord. And they spoke God's word. So Elihu says, God primarily speaks through dreams and through pain, and he rarely speaks through men. The, the Bible says that God primarily speaks through prophets and through men of God. In fact, it's rare throughout the Bible that God speaks to someone through dreams, though he has done that. So again, we have to decide, is Elihu correct? And the answer is no, he's wrong. Look, either Elihu is right, and God rarely speaks through men and primarily speaks through dreams, or the Bible is wrong. And I'm just going to go with the Bible. You say, is Elihu right? Well, he's wrong about Job. He's wrong about how God primarily speaks to man. Then Elihu is wrong about the prosperity gospel. Look at verse 25, Job 33, verse 25. 
His flesh shall be fresh, uh, fresher than a child. He shall return to the days of his youth. He's telling Job how he can get his prosperity back. Verse 26. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him. He shall see his face with joy. Notice, don't miss it. For he will render unto man his righteousness. Elihu makes this argument that God renders unto man based off of the man's righteousness. So the more righteous you are, the more God renders unto you. The more right with God you are, the more prosperity. You want health, you want wealth, you want fame, you want prosperity. Be righteous because God will render unto man his righteousness. And if you're not righteous, then God's going to punish you. Well, wait a minute, Elihu. For someone who promised us that he was going to give us arguments different than the ones of the three friends, you sure sound like the three friends, because that's exactly what the three friends did. In fact, that's exactly what Eliphaz did. In the same chapter, go back to Job chapter 4. In the same chapter that Eliphaz talked about a vision, Eliphaz also talked about the fact that he believed in the prosperity gospel. Job chapter 4, verse, I'm starting to think Elihu's, uh, uh, Eliphaz's uh, little brother. Job chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, remember I pray thee, this is Eliphaz speaking, whoever perished being innocent. How do you know that Job's not innocent, Eliphaz? Well, whoever perished being innocent, look what's happening to him, of course he's not innocent. Or where were the righteous cut off? The righteous don't get cut off, that's what Eliphaz is saying. God renders unto the righteous Based off their righteousness. That's what Elihu said. Verse 8. Even as I have seen they that plow plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. What is Elihu saying? If you're wicked, you're going to reap wickedness. If you're righteous, you're going to reap righteousness. What is Elihu saying? God will render unto man his righteousness. They're saying the same thing. Elihu's making the same arguments. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is Elihu right? And the answer is no. 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. By the way, living godly means living a righteous life. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you live right, does that mean that everything's going to go well for you, great for you? Say that to the Apostle Paul. Say that to the Apostle Peter. Say that to the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified. Elihu is wrong. He says, Job, if you just get right with God, if you just do right, God will render unto you based off your righteousness. And he's wrong. That's the prosperity gospel. That's TBN, Benny Hinn stuff. That's Joel Osteen. That's charismatic, naven and claimant, health, wealth, prosperity. Elihu is wrong. Then I want you to notice Elihu's wrong about salvation. Look at verse 27. Job 33, verse 27. He looketh upon men... And if any say, notice what this Elihu is telling us. If any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profiteth me not, he, the he that is referring to God, will deliver his soul from going into the pit. Now, I don't have time to develop this. You can study this out on your own. But throughout the Bible, the word pit means hell. He's, here's what Elihu just said. If somebody says, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, now, why did they come to the place where they acknowledge that they're doing wrong? And it profiteth me not, because my life is not going well. He says, if somebody does that, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit. 
and his life shall see light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring his soul from the pit. He says sometimes God makes people's lives bad so that they'll realize that they're not doing right so that he can bring them back his soul from the pit to be enlightened with the light of the living. Here, Elihu gives us his belief about salvation. What's his belief about salvation? That if somebody says, I have sinned and perverted that which was right and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit. Now, here's the thing. It is true that someone must acknowledge that they are a sinner in order to be saved. But if this is Elihu's gospel presentation, there's a really big piece that he's missing. It's the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And people say, well, this was all the way back in the Old Testament, and they didn't know about Jesus. Okay, Genesis 4.26. I think that's pretty, I mean, Genesis 4, you're four chapters into the, the Bible. And just said, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. You say, are you reading out of Romans? Well, I can understand why you'd be confused because Romans 10.13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I'm not reading out of Romans. I'm reading out of Genesis chapter 4. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. Look, people have been saved the same way all throughout history, by faith, by placing their faith on the Lord, by calling upon the name of the Lord. Now, obviously in the Old Testament, they didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. They called upon the name of the Lord. Today we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why? Because what we saw in Philippians that God had given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But here we have Elihu giving us his gospel presentation. He left out a really big piece calling upon the name of the Lord. In fact, it sounds like Elihu's gospel presentation is just a social gospel. Things aren't going well for you. Let's turn over a new leaf. Let's do something different. Now, look, I understand that sometimes people need to do something different, but that's not how you get saved. That's not how he delivers your soul from the pit. You get saved by believing on Christ, by believing on God, and by calling upon the name of the Lord. So Elihu gives us his gospel presentation, and I've got to say it's wrong. Yes, people need to acknowledge their sin in order to be saved. But they also need to call upon the name of the Lord. Elihu's wrong. He's wrong. Here's the interesting thing about Elihu. Go back to Job 33. He's arrogant. I mean, I think we all have to. We would all agree with that. He's, he's a little obnoxious. He thinks he's big stuff. I mean, he thinks he's hot stuff. He thinks he's going to walk in and start speaking to Job, who I'm sure, you know, remember the chapter about where Job talks about how things used to be, how young men would hide and run from him? Young men like Elihu. Now he's like, let me tell you something, Job. I know I used to call you sir, but I'm rude. But I'm a jerk. But I think really highly of myself. We have this young man who's brash. That's bad enough. But then he's also wrong. And by the way, let me just say this about pride. This is one of the main reasons why you don't want to have pride in your life. Because sometimes you've got to acknowledge that you may be wrong. Maybe you're not looking at everything the right way. Maybe you don't have all the details. Maybe you don't know everything. So before you start coming out all hard against somebody, 
before you start coming out strong against people. Look, I have a job. My job as a pastor, literally one of my jobs is to confront people with problems and issues within the church. And, you know, I never just sit somebody down and I'm just like, I know that you're a wicked, you know. You say, why don't you do that, pastor? Because I may be wrong. Because maybe I don't have all the detail. Because maybe I don't have all the facts. You know how I start the conversation. Some of you have been there. You know how I start the conversation. <laughs> hey, did you do X, Y, and Z? Somebody told me that you... Say, why do you start like that? Because I'm not God. Because I may not have all the details. Because sometimes we have to realize that maybe, just maybe, I know we'd never admit it, but maybe we're wrong. And here we have this young man, brash, that's bad enough, but he's brash and wrong. Look at verse 31. Here's what we can learn from Elihu. Here's what we can learn from Elihu. Because we may be wrong. Look, look, look. I understand. You're, you're smart. You're smart. I get it. But just in, 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 in the rare event, I mean, that 1% that you may, you know, because 99.9% of the time, you got it all figured out. But in that 0.1% time that you may be wrong, You may want to be more graceful with your words. Job 33, 31. Mark well, O Job. Hearken unto me. Hold thy peace. You know what he's saying? He's saying, shut up, Job. Shut up. And I will speak. I imagine that Job started to say something like, uh, Elihu, and he's like, shut up. No, no, no. Hearken unto me. Hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. Yeah, right. Look at verse 33. If not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. Just an arrogant young man. Go to Colossians chapter 4. We'll finish up right here. Colossians 4. Do not be like Elihu. Do not be brash. You say, why? Why can't I be brash? Because you may be wrong. Because you're not God. Because you may not have all the details. Because you may not have all the understanding. Because maybe there's something you don't know. Or maybe you have all the details and you came to the wrong conclusion. Maybe you're going to say, you said this and you said this and you said this and you're wrong. And God would say, no, they said that and they said that and they said that. But they're not wrong. Maybe we don't know everything. So you know what God says? Here's what God says. Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Now, look, I'm not talking about when we're preaching the Word of God, we can preach the Word of God with authority because God's always right. I'm talking about your opinion and my opinion because remember, Elihu said, let me give you my opinion three different times in the previous chapter. My opinion, my opinion, my opinion. Let me tell you something about your opinion. You may be wrong. God says, let your speech be always with grace. You know what the word grace means? You should know what the word grace means. It's how you got saved if you're saved. What's grace? Unmerited favor. What's grace? You're, you're, you're getting something you don't deserve. You're getting it, it, graceful. It means that you're giving favor. And, and maybe it's not deserving, but you're going to give it anyway because you're right. You know you're right. You know they're wrong. But just in case, you're going to give them favor just in case. That's what God says. Let your speech be always with grace. You know what our speech should be like? It should be graceful. Amen. Then he says, seasoned with salt. So what does that mean? It means this, our speech should be graceful and our speech should be tasteful. That he may know how ye ought to answer every man. 
Let me ask you something. How do you speak to people? I, I understand. I, one time, a pastor, my, my wife and I were in a meeting with pastors, and we had an older pastor got up, and he said, look, let me tell you something. I'm not trying to discourage you. You just need to understand this. When people get to the age of 30, by the time they're 30 years old, if they were never raised right, if they were never taught how to properly speak to people and how to have, have an actual conversation and communicate with people, not be a jerk and not be rude, not be arrogant, by the time they're 30, just give up on it. It's not going to happen. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to try. God says that we should be mindful of how we speak to people. That we should be graceful with our words. You say, why should I be graceful? Because God was graceful with you. Because God has shown grace to you. Because maybe there's that slight chance that you're wrong. So he says, let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. Your speech ought to be graceful and ought to be tasteful that you may know how you ought to answer every man. How do you talk to people? How do you communicate with people? Are you brash? Are you rude? Are you self-confident? Well, there's nothing wrong with being self-confident if I'm right. That's if you're right. And by the way, even if you're right. Are you a jerk? Because I'd hate to come off this strong, like this young man Elihu, and say, let me, t- let me teach you wisdom, and let me teach you knowledge, and let me just shut your mouth, and let me speak. And literally everything he said was wrong. Say, so what is that? Vainglory, pride. Our speech should be graceful. And our speech should be tasteful. Because we're not God. And we may be wrong. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this chapter in the Bible, and thank you for this young man, Elihu. I mean, I'm sorry for him, but at least we can learn from his mistakes. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be people who are kind. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be mindful of how we speak to people, how we treat people. The truth is that people will forget what we've said, but they will not forget how we made them feel. And I pray you'd help us to treat people with value. Help our words to be graceful and tasteful. Because like Elihu found out, sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we don't have all the details. Sometimes we don't have the full picture. Sometimes we have all the details, just our conclusions are wrong. Help us, Lord, to be graceful and tasteful with the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.